Okay, so today uh, we want to welcome Brent Tilson of Tilson, Tilson HR. Um, a, a lot of, I was trying to think of, of all your titles. I think it's too, you know, we only have so much time. I use it up on the titles. So, yeah, know, yeah. And, you know, and I won't admit to many of them. Former chair, chair of the FGAC, Federal Government Affairs Committee, uh, chair of the PAC, uh, post he was elected to in a key meeting that he missed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff. So it's so funny. I was realizing when I was thinking about this, uh, you know, uh, get ready for this, uh, this chit chat today, uh, as well as I know you. So uh, the very beginnings, I'm not sure I know. I know you're an accountant, right? Correct. But take me back to the beginning. Like you got out of school and your dad started a business, Jackson, but yeah, take me to the very beginning. Like how'd you, how'd you sure. start? No, now, thanks for asking. First, Pat, thanks for uh, having me on your podcast. This will be fun. Looking forward to it. Um, I, hopefully there's enough recording space because this could go for hours and hours I was thinking and about hours. The same so I'm thing. a little I concerned was, yes. about how you're going to edit this. But uh, with that said, um, no, it's kind of a funny story. And it's not one I tell a lot, but, you know, my my career started as a, a CPA, started off at KPMG Pete Harwick as an auditor. And then I went into the tax department and I always knew that I didn't want to do that forever. You know, I went into accounting and, and pursued that because I knew it exposed me to business. And I had just this entrepreneurial slant. I always did. So I moved from KPMG from one of the big eight back then. So I'm dating myself to a large local firm. They had about a hundred staff members, good sized local firm. And but they were known for being the entrepreneur CPA firm. So I went there, was there about a year and knew I, if I didn't get out, I wouldn't get out. So I got three years under my belt, my CPA uh, certificate, did my duty, and decided to start my own CPA firm. So in the early 90s, I hung up my shingle, B.R. Tilson and Company. I still don't know who the company was, but it was B.R. Tilson. And uh, started with my own CPA firm, worked with a lot of small, mid-sized companies, but uh, very entrepreneurial people. And they were good at what they did. But let me let me and uh, let me stop. Yeah, let me stop. Ahead. Just let me start. So, did you have clients? That's a pretty gutsy thing. You had kids, right? Do you have kids? I had kids. Oh yeah. Okay, no, so I just told me. I told my wife at the time. I said, "Just trust me." And I went and got a line of credit for twenty thousand bucks. And I had one client, but I think I made a thousand bucks a year on them. So I really didn't have any business. And so I had to go out. And uh, so I started in November because I knew that that was the beginning of tax season and could go off and start, you know, hang a shingle and win. And so I did. So just went out and started selling and adding business. And, you know, the trickiest thing was trying to figure out how much I was going to charge for my hourly rate. So I called around town to see what everybody else was charging. <laughs> and I charged 10% more. I was the most expensive guy in town. Because I figure, who wants to pay the CPA the bargain? You know, you would pay a lot for your CPA. You don't want to pay the cheapest. And so uh, that was my strategy. <laughs> I wish that worked in PEOs. I could just say, I want to be the most expensive PEO. And people will just come running. You know, it's a great strategy. But we're not fixing prices here. We get in trouble for that. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get shut down in our first season. You know, it's it. We never got out of the blocks. <laughs> um, so, quick story. I had a lot of added clients. They were good at what they did, and uh, I had this one client walk in my office one day, and this was March, like March 
9th or 10th of 1995. And he asked me if I could process payroll for his uh, new business, which he had about, he was going to do a, like a temp staffing for a physical therapist at hospitals. And I thought, uh, yeah, I can process your payroll, but I'm constantly getting you out of trouble with the IRS because you never pay your taxes. And I was working on some financial statements and it's specifically to a capital lease versus an operating lease. It's like when you get furniture, you can lease it or you can buy it. And it all depends on how the paper's written. I thought, well, what if I was the employer of all these physical therapists? Then I could be the employer and he could go do that. And I'll just make sure he keeps himself out of trouble. And uh, that weekend, uh, we went to Vegas for my uh, wife's birthday party, or birthday, just took off, went to Vegas, middle tax season. I think it was more for me than her. And I walked around Vegas, seeing all these people working at these casinos. I thought, you know, if I made a dollar every day, to manage all these people. And so it just germinated walking around Vegas that, you know, why not gamble and get in the PEO industry? <laughs> At that time, I didn't even know it was an industry, didn't know anything about it. Um, I came back, a buddy of mine, he said that he was one of my clients. He says, oh, that's what I do. I lease my employees. I said, you do? And uh, so he used a company called Employee Concepts a long, long time ago, one of the first PEOs, but they called it employee leasing back then. Arnie Eastburn, Eastman was his name. Eastburn? Eastburn? I don't know. Somebody will listen to it and they'll correct me. But uh, he told me all about it. I called him up. He told me about it. I was intrigued. So I got a hold of the uh, this group. I think they changed their name to Napio around that time. And I called them and they sent me this like introduction kit in the mail. And I, knowing me, I've still got it someplace. And I read all about this employee leasing industry and that there was an upcoming, this is like in April, May of 95. And uh, they had their annual meeting come up in September in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor. And so um, I put that on my calendar and then the got incorporated uh, brought my dad into the business. I said, hey, dad, why don't you come join me? And I'm going to start this new company. And he did. Um, and, and so, and, and the name of the company is important, right? The name of the company. It was called Administerve. <laughs> and I, I will have to say, I can't say anything else other than it was called Administerve since we are on a podcast. And I will leave it there. <laughs> and the name after some discussion, the name was changed. After some discussion. Amongst a few parties, it became Tilson HR some years later, <laughs> to which that administer then became used by said company uh, as one of to describe one of their uh, community service projects. There you go. So probably is available on Google someplace. <laughs> but anyway, that's how we got started. And uh, my first... Uh, my first check I wrote was to this group called Napio. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to get in this industry, I need to learn a lot and I might as well join the association. So I'm, I'm not kidding. The first check was made out to Napio. And I went to that very first conference um, and realized I didn't know what I had gotten myself into. But we all used to walk around with these legal pads of paper. Because that's what you did back then to look important was you carried a yellow legal pad, right? I mean, you would know you're an attorney. I mean, yeah, right. You think other than a legal yeah, pad, yeah. shared notes with each other. I do have those 
actual original notes. It's funny. And uh, everything that, how, how do you be the employer and how do you do this? So anyway, it's a, I, I wonder if that first check to Napio cleared. I wonder. I don't know. I'm still waiting on it. It, it <laughs> never. It never got cashed. I, I don't know what happened. We was, framed it. We framed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's framed. So someplace. okay. So that was like ninety six. Ninety five. Ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. Okay. So then, give me the uh, trajectory of Tilson HR. Again, we've uh, we've all been now now years ago to your beautiful office space out there after the pandemic. I guess it's still uh, full and beautiful. But uh, yeah, give me the trajectory uh, from 95 to the sort of the, the growth of Tilson HR and what you got into and what you found along the way. Yeah, no, that's that's appreciate that. It, it was fun, uh, challenging. So I had my CPA firm still going. So I incubated uh, administer, let's call it Tilson HR. I incubated it in my CPA firm. So my, you know, I only had a couple of clients and it took like six months to get one or two clients in it. So it was expensive to get it off the ground, but I had my CPA staff there. You know, I'm out selling, trying to sell this new concept, really trailblazing for Indiana at the time. There's a couple of us that are running around as PDOs, but most companies looked at us and said, that sounds illegal. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 it's not. Trust us. And uh, so it took a while. And I'd say it took two years to really start. You know, we still weren't gaining a lot of ground. It was tough. It was really hard. And then there was a uh, temporary staffing firm in our market. Actually, we were in the same office building, happenstance. And they uh, a company called Personnel Management, and they had gone public. Um, so kind of a small public company, but, you know, nonetheless public. And I got introduced to their CEO who was really interested in the PEO space. And we sat down and they decided to make an acquisition. So they bought uh, 15% of my company. And that put us on the map all of a sudden. Staffing Industry Reports was writing about us and they were writing about them and it was fun to pick up that little magazine, you know, article, staffing industry report and read and see that. And that was in 97. I remember being out in, in um, San Francisco for the national conference and the whole conference was a buzz and there were investment bankers everywhere because we were the hottest new industry and they were just flocking around and there was a guy kind of reminded me of Bill Gates stood up and did something called PowerPoint. And this guy, his name was Martin Babinek. He had some small little company called Trinet and he was trying to get going and he was talking about the future of technology. And we were all out there just living life, loving, loving this new industry we're in. That's the top of the mark and had cocktails and somebody sold their business to, I, I think, um, uh, paychecks for a gazillion dollars and so they were buying drinks so the early years were frothy they were fun <laughs> yeah and then trajectory wise we just took off from there once we had that uh investment it wasn't the money it was the fact that it was a stamp of endorsement in our community that this is legitimate yeah. and and we took off and at that time you know it didn't take a lot but we grew the you know, 11th fastest growing company in the country that year um, now in the PEO space that could, you could do that just by starting off and growing fast, but we did, and we had a lot of success the first few years. And then, um, the ideas of going public were, you know, everybody's talking about doing that. 
And we got smart because, you know, things happen and markets shifted and we didn't go that way. And so we've just enjoyed a nice steady growth over the last 28 years. And for us, it's never been about being the biggest. It's always been about we measure ourselves by the quality of our clients. And we want really good, solid businesses that we can, you know, do something with. And they're complicated businesses and they need our services. And so, you know, we enjoy that. We now operate, even though we're in Indiana, we operate in 48 states. So we cover the pretty much the whole country. Yep. Um, we have been in Alaska. So we've been in 49 out of 50. And Hawaii has a big moat around it. And they just don't let us in. Well, Baron, Baron just. That's exactly right. I just called Baron. If I have an employee, exactly. Yeah, Ultras will hire you. Exactly. We're all good. Exactly. Right. So that's kind of how we got here. That's so great. I had so much that I didn't know. And and again, it's it's one of my favorite quotes is uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. It sounds like you did that. Um, and you talked about your clients. I, we, you know, we've got a couple of videos on our website that we made of the pandemic. Uh, one featuring just our members talking about how it was working with their clients. And the other one featuring clients talking about how their PEO saved them. And I remember, I think we had one or two of your clients on that mm-hmm. video. It was just unbelievable them talking about what, what you did for them. So, so uh, yeah. So what's your competitive advantage in your market? There are other PEOs out there. What's, you know, not your secret sauce, but what's your better mousetrap for Tilson HR? You know, it's, I, I've said this forever. You know, we all spell PEO the same. Mm-hmm. And that's where the different difference or the how, that's where the differences begin because after that we're all different slightly. And for us, we many years ago I had a client call me, very successful entrepreneur now today he was then as well, but then he only had about eleven employees, and he'd grown up to eighty. And he I got the phone call one day. He said, "Brent, we've outgrown you." It's like you've outgrown me. Said, so, yeah, you know, we're 80 people. I'm going to hire my own HR person, internal, you know, bring it inside. And this was back 19, it's like 2004. And he's like, yeah, I just need stronger HR support. It's like, okay. So he left and uh, boy, that was really tough. It's like, I have to, I have to be here for the life, literally for the life of my clients. I don't want a company that you can outgrow. So we pretty much re-engineered the company and really focused on how do we provide services from whether they're startup or they have 500 people. And I'm lucky. I have clients that graduate from me today is what I call it. And they end up raising a hundred million dollars and they've got private equity around them and they're a part of some large organization, but we gave them the opportunity to have that success. And we did that by really providing them that HR support. So it's not just processing payroll and, you know, providing benefits. Our secret sauce has really been about having the professionals on staff and the thought leadership for them to help them uh, get to the future. That's what, you know, led me to write my book back, you know, when I published in 2018, uh, Go Slow to Grow Fast. Yep. Yep. And that book is just a culmination of all those years of CPA of working with companies and all the advice yep. and helping companies know how to do that. How do we help them grow? And, you know, in that book, I really do cover a lot of the stuff that makes us different to helping businesses know uh, that we're a resource for them, not just a 
payroll provider that offers benefits. Yeah. So, so uh, you're you're looking at my notes because my my uh, the next thing I was going to get to is you had so much free time uh, that you decided to write a book. That's it. Uh, and I read the book, provide a quote for the book, and it was great. I, th- I just thought it was great. I, I sat here one weekend like, oh, crap, I got to read this book because I told Brent I would read it. And, you know, a while later, Kathleen came in. And, what are you doing? I'm like, Shh, I'm reading this book. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. I just thought it was great. It was just so uh, it's con- conversational. It's common sense. It was practical. It's really practical. It's like, let me, you know, tell you about these, the, we use these two personas and talk about this. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's called uh, Go Slow to Grow Fast. So yeah, tell tell me about the book. I mean, I read the book. Tell us about the book. Yeah, well, thank you. Actually, uh, what, what drove it? What drove it? You know, you wake up in the middle of the night, like, hey, I think I want to write a book because I got nothing but time. And then what's the story of the book? You know, the, the, the reason I wrote the book, and once in the, this goes all the way back to 2004, 2005 timeframe, or even before as a CPA. You know, early on in my CPA world, I got exposed to this employee or this business life cycle called the S-curve life cycle. And I have used that a gazillion times sitting across the table from somebody. And I can draw this stuff upside down with the best of them. Might as well be an insurance agent because I can just, you know, write across and you're know, sitting across and I can just perfect handwriting. But I've drawn that S life cycle so many times. And I've asked companies, business owners, you know, plot yourself on that line. Where are you? And I'll explain what it means. And depending on where they plot themselves would drive the conversation. And we talk about either, okay, they're in a valley. What are they getting ready? How are they getting out of it? Or, oh, they're at a peak and they're a little bit scared that I might, you know, be getting ready to, you know, no longer have capacity to grow and the things that are going to happen. And so over these years, I've created a lot of tools around that. S curve life cycle. And people would ask me, because I sit and do conversations just like this about your business and whatever. And I could ask you about an APO and we go down this whole path. And um, they're like, would you put that down? Can you write this? This is good stuff. And so I kept notes over time. And I even wrote the initial chapters out. And then I just stuck it in a drawer and always wanted to go write it. And then my business coach back around 2015 says, ask, really pushes on me, Brent, when are you going to write that book? It's like, oh, Craig, you're killing me. And he kept pushing. <laughs> and so we were at a uh, conference together and he took me over to a guy named Adam Witte with uh, Forbes Books and introduces me to Adam. And Adam and I started talking. Next thing you know, it started a journey. And it was really weird or unusual, Pat, is a lot of times you have ghost writers that do those things. Yep. I tried it. Ghost, the ghost written copy was horrible. I put it aside for a year. And then I decided in 2016, 2017, and I'd take every Wednesday and I'd stay home and go into a room in my basement and just work on the outline, work on the thoughts. I'd write part of a chapter, put it away, write part of a chapter, put it away. And I think it was the Napio conference of 2017. It was in Florida, if I remember. I think there was actually a hurricane that came in while we were down there. That's right. That's right. Yep. And I sat up. I didn't go to one meeting. I was so close and I had chapter seven I needed to finish. And I was so frustrated. So I took the whole week and sat in my room, actually 
actually upgraded my my room to a big suite because I wanted all the space I could have. <laughs> Telling stories I haven't told anybody. And I stayed in that suite all week long watching this hurricane morning come in. And I sat there and finished that chapter. And that wasn't the end of the book, but uh, it, you know, a lot of memories on writing that. And then you were so kind as to be one of the uh, people to read the, you know, uh, version as it was going through the line edit, and good comments coming back, and certainly appreciated that. And it's been fun. Um, in fact, what's rewarding to me, it was written to help people just if they can get one nugget out of it, make them a better business, then I would feel good. I can't tell you how many people have called me and or um, have visited or written me a note that says, oh, my goodness, what a great book. In fact, funny story. It was designed to help also generate sales, right? Sure. Well, we somehow got hooked up with a company out of Ohio. This is how this works. And they do property management around the country. And so we ended up working with them of all places down in Houston. We don't do a lot of business in Texas, but they wanted us to help them into Houston. And uh, so I always signed hand, I always hand signed books to new clients. So I sent them off to their office in Ohio. And uh, my head of sales gets a call a few weeks ago. And one of the ladies that like runs one of the divisions there got her hands in the book. She reads it, calls him and says, oh, my goodness, thank you for the book. We are changing everything what we're doing about how we're measuring the company, the numbers, and on and on and on. And by the way, from now on, you're the only PEO we're going to use. And so now we just got a deal in California. And there, it was just like, who knew? So, you know, that's the fun part. It's so great. And, and again, to me, uh, I could hear your voice in reading the book. It's very you. And yeah, I, I thought about it. It's like if somebody gave me this book and I had my own business, I'd call this guy. Right. Give me some advice yeah. and let me throw it. Right. Which I, was, I was down at a client's about probably this time a year ago. And he's a was a huge supporter of the book after he read it and everything else. So I get there. And in the book, I talk a lot about um, revenue per employee and, and certain things you need to measure and return on investment. And that means from people. A lot of people don't think about return on investment from the people you hire. And uh, he starts showing me all this stuff on this spreadsheet. Then he turns to the computer and says, look at this. And he has this whole thing that's got all the metrics of stuff that I talk about in my book. He said, we measure this every day. It's like, okay. It was worth all the time. And you got to be careful what you say because people are actually paying attention, right? That's the <laughs> whole thing. That's so, unbelievable. It was so um, fun. Okay. So let me switch gears. That's great. I mean, the business side is just unbelievable. And, and again, as an entrepreneur, you know, you got started and you built a company and you've seen it grow and, and it's great. Um, and yeah, before we leave that, that uh, uh, go slow to grow fast is the name of the book. So uh, uh, my endorsement, I'm not getting any money for this endorsement. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's a great book. I recommend it to anybody. Well, thank Let you. me switch gears. So, you know, uh, for all the stuff uh, that you've done and, you know, everything you're doing in the industry, uh, I think, at least for me, this will give you an idea of, you know, my prism that I look at things through because I'm in, in Washington, D.C., that you're most known or your brand uh, is the uh, the politics, the political side, right? And being... You know, sometimes a lone wolf, but a persistent 
Wolf, uh, to just tell everybody how important it is to be involved in politics, right? And uh, unlike a lot of others, uh, you know, you practice what you preach and and, and you've done it. And so, uh, uh, yeah, and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit of, some more about that as we go down this road. But yeah, talk to me about that, sort of your, your, you know, your interest in politics and then you know, what triggered it for you to understand, like, this is really important and to drive that message. You, know, you have driven that message at Napio for the whole time I've known you and to our great benefit. Some people, as you know, are slow to the party, but man, everybody, not, let's not everybody, but just about everybody's on board today. I think it's great. But how did you come to that, to like realize the intersection between business and politics? You know, it's, um, it came as a result of, being in the PEO industry and it's really kind of, I, I can't, I, I'll say there's an aha moment and I didn't really understand, it, but it, it became dimly aware to me as I was in it. So, it, you know, many, many years ago we had the different chapters. And so for the, the people listening on this podcast, they're, they're going to, you know, you know, of Napio today, that if you were to go back 25 years ago, there were chapters across the country. We had the Midwest chapter, the Florida one, which still exists, but they had chapters. And so um, the, I, that's how you got involved. You didn't really, I mean, you could get involved at the Napio, you know, national level, but most of us all were, we were so regional. And so I got involved with the Midwest chapter of, of Napio. And um, everything in the Midwest, at that time, the chapters, um, was very much you focused on your the few states that you were part of. And Indiana had some issues going on with unemployment. Still today, my, my one thing I've never solved, right? <laughs> uh, but I got real involved, not real involved, I got involved early on in some unemployment insurance issue. Kathleen Hill and McGuess and I, back in around 2000 or sometime in there, maybe before. And I was intimidated because I'm going up and talking to these people who are, you know, obviously lifelong employees in the unemployment office for Department of Workforce Development. You know, I'm meeting the general counsel and I'm meeting all this. And I feel like I felt like I was asking them to do something as if government dictated what we do. And it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. No. No, no, no. Wait a minute. The government works for us. You're and you were hired by an elected official. So you're here to do the job for us. Not the other way around. And it occurred to me that a lot of people have it wrong. They all think it's the other way that government tells us what to do because that's how it feels. And it's true only to the extent that we allow them to do that. And now I don't mean that we don't follow what we need to and what the rules and regulation, that's why they're there. But sometimes the people in the administration decide to interpret the rules as they want, not necessarily as how they're written, or maybe they're written how they want, not what was intended. And that was at the local level. And so I started realizing at the local level that it's like, wow, this is interesting. And then, uh, Napio was always talking about doing stuff at the federal level, and Art Geiger and I were good, became pretty good friends. And before me, um, and that sounds weird to say, but 
it before I got real involved, Art Geiger was kind of the guy in the industry who had a relationship at the federal level. No one else really did. I mean, notwithstanding Insperity's role with uh, Kevin Brady and so forth and others, but Art was kind of a lone wolf himself. Yeah. And I admire him. And, and, and Max Baucus, who's you know, yes. a leading senator in those days, was his guy. So he yeah. saw he Baucus developed that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he tells a great story, and I'm not going to get into the story. What a great story he has about how he would stalk him to actually you know, <laughs> get to know him. Um, but I, I took a page out of Art's book, and I thought, you know what? If I'm doing this at the local level, and I really did it at the local level, I helped get the you know, Indiana legislation passed. I got to know Jerry Tor, who was our state rep, who championed our bill, and Jerry's been there for us for years. And so, I, at the state house here in Indiana, I got very, you know, familiar with the people I needed to be familiar with. Um, you know, got very involved local community politics, but you know, because politics is local. But Napio is local at the national level. We may be local at the local level, but we as an industry are disruptors of well-established um, IRS code, ERISA regulations. I mean, we just blew up well-established governance of how things get done. Yeah. We, you know, co-employment, what's that? Yeah. And so at the federal level, you know, I decided I needed to get involved and got lucky. Um, I, I backed a couple people. Um, one being uh, someone who'd be uh, two guys, both went to the House of Representatives, one named uh, Todd Rokita and another one named Todd Young. And um, I helped them get, get a, you know, you know, did fundraisers and did other things to help them and got lucky. And I guess I look at it that way. They would say the other way they, they appreciate all we've done. And as an industry, we've helped them in many different ways and they've helped us and so i I, w- I wish i could get if there was something i could see before i ever got out of this industry is i'd love to see uh I, I, let me put it this way pat when you came and i think i was running the marketing committee and we had no money no money no marketing we were dying we knew we had the market at the same time the pack was not much either. I would love to see our political action committee and our, the number of people who engage have the same trajectory that our marketing has over the last 12 plus years. I mean, it's how, how much has that grown? I mean, it's ridiculous. You've gone from about 50,000 when I got here to we're just north of uh, 1.4 million this year. Unbelievable. And look what it's done. I mean, we are on the map. And I mean, all the things that we wanted to see, I'd love to see that happen on the political side. I'd really love to see the people, when I look at our PAC budget and we raised a couple hundred grand, we're like, woohoo, we did great. It's like, no, we need more. Because had we not had the relationships that we had, um, the PPP loans would not have been there for our clients. That was literally one of the probably the darkest moments that we faced because we didn't know if that was going to, we didn't know. 
And you were, you know, obviously because of your political uh, activity and connections, you were intimately involved in that, that those discussions and that time. And I say all the time, you know, you know, you know, maybe a dozen people knew, but not many people knew how close this industry came to extinction, right? Because the PPP loans would only go to people with a 941. It wasn't anything malicious. It was just they're trying to push billions of dollars out the door, trillions quickly, and they weren't going over the fine-tooth comb. And so 941s, that's it. And we know we could do this. And so, and it's funny, Brent, I was telling the story because of you, that you got to Todd Young, and he calls Secretary of the Treasury literally at the 12th hour. It was, I think, 11 o'clock at night. And like everyone in this industry has to begin like, okay, so Steve Mnuchin is the secretary, the treasury secretary. So, okay, Steve, I can talk to you, Mr. Secretary, about this group. They're called PEOs. And Mnuchin had been a three-time PEO client. I know. <laughs> He's like all the karma of the world landed on us that one moment. He'd been an Ambrose client three times. Right. So he knew what a, what a PEO was. But that call from Todd Young, it was a straight line from you to Todd Young to Mnuchin, save this. And they issued language uh, the next day. This is a 941 or, you know, an equivalent uh, for, for us. And it saved us. And without that, no PEO client would have gotten a cent. Nope, none. None. Right. I mean, it, 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 it was hanging on a thread. I remember that night because there was, what, about eight to ten of us yep. that were just nonstop. That was a week we didn't sleep for two weeks. I mean, it was just amazing. And what a great group of people. I mean, it was like, you know, quite amazing. But I remember, you know, we got on the phone with Todd Young early in the week and he gave us a half hour. And you and Tom both told me later, he said, Brent, I, I don't think you understand. Nobody gets a half hour. With a U.S. Senator. With a U.S. Senator in the middle of a crisis. And it was, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, why, going back, Pat, you say, you know, you ask the question, you know, why do you do what you do or why are you involved? Well, you never know what you're going to need, when you're going to need it. You know, we never dreamed there would ever be a pandemic. Never dreamed that we would have to have the, you know, you just, you can't ever, you know, that's part of my book, what'll put you out of business. And you think about these things and you have to be prepared. And what do you have to do to be able to, and that's where the intersection of politics and business are so critical because they're, they're elected to work for us. What a concept. What a concept. And people forget that. And there's times we have to go remind those who are elected that, you know, now, and the key there, that's where people don't get it. Just because you write a check doesn't mean you get what you want. You just write the check if you're supporting them. And at the end of the day, though, um, if you support them, they'll listen to you because they know that you believe in them. Yeah. Now, not and everybody's it, that way. Some people write something, that, something that you understood is, you know, they always say, you know, fix the roof when the sunshine not was raining. Is that you developed, you developed, developed relationships um, when we don't need anything, right? That that's the thing, and and so especially with the both of the Todds, you develop those relationships in the off season when there's nothing. You don't have an ask, 
this is who we are. This is what's going on. Well, Brent, you're, you know, you work with small business. How's that going? Like, what's the temperature of small business these days? You're a resource for them. And it's great. And every time you see them, you don't have your hand in their pockets to ask for something. And you've developed a relationship. And that that made all the difference. Well, and it's, it's, you know, and then fast forward to today. So, you know, as you and I talked a little bit, I, you know, I've had a number of people, at least in my home state, ask me to run for office. And I contemplated that. I thought about running for an open house seat when Todd Young ran, left the House and ran for the Senate. That opened up the seat in my district, which he represented. And I looked at running for that, that seat. And at, in the end, I ended up supporting a young lady professional who was an Indiana state senator. Her name's Erin Houchin. And I ended up putting my, my support behind Erin. She lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I hired her and uh, really was liked what she did. And so she became business, you know, did business development for us. And also as an Indiana state Senator, I always would laugh because we go on sales calls together and she had her driver because they were doing all their stuff. They always do, but I always <laughs> had the chuckle. Um, and so she'd be doing something with the house yeah, or the Senate, you know, in Indiana. And then, we'd walk into a sales call. Well, today, fast forward, as we all know, you know, Aaron this time did, she re-ran and got elected. And so now we have, I think the first experienced PEO professional elected and is serving in the house. And, you know, we've got, I mean, you figure we've got Pam Evett is a PEO executive who's Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina, but, as far as anybody knows, the only former PDO employee yep. uh, in Congress is Erin Houchin. It's just yeah. unbelievable, right? It's fantastic. And she's a champion. She's great. I think we're worried. Yeah, we are actually. She'll be on the cover of the magazine at some point. Um, it's like all of Brent's friends make their way to the <laughs> magazine at some point or another. <laughs> um, but it's so unbelievable. Right. That, that 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 trajectory. And she ends up in Congress. And it's one person. We don't have to explain what a PEO is to her. And she gets it it's all, even in just so far. I mean, she's been tremendous. And we hope. She oh, will. yeah, just absolutely. She's she's a. Yep. She's so, strong, strong. Yep. So uh, the other crowning achievement and, you know, Pearlberg tries to take credit, but it just doesn't happen is the <laughs> SBA. That was something. I remember we spent, a, we spent a lot of time talking about that one. So tell me about the SBA. You're right in the middle of, of that one. It- so I ha- I always chuckle because uh, every chairman, when they make their opening remarks, when they get handed the gavel that first time at the national conference, um, the, every chairman before me, at least, made their number one priority. It's getting federal <laughs> legislation passed so that we have uh, – this level of assurance that we uh, we can exist. And so, of course, I fell in the footsteps of everybody else and promised the same thing. And uh, I wish I could. Uh, that's why Pearlberg tries to take credit, you know, because <laughs> I get it done within four months of being chair. I mean, you know, how, all how hard could it be? How hard could it be? All seriousness, Pat. I mean, when that there were a lot of people involved in getting that done. I just happened to be sitting in the chair seat at the time. And so for, for that to happen, it was just 
a perfect timing that it all came together. There was a bill that was moving. I remember you calling me saying, oh, my goodness, I think it's going to get in. And you were so excited that you wanted to call everybody and tell them. And I know the biggest challenge you and I had was like, Shh, quiet, don't, don't tell anybody. We don't want this thing to get yanked because somebody didn't like the language. And that's all that it would have taken is one person from the industry who yelled and screamed loud enough, had the right person that maybe would have said, oh, oh there's really opposition. And uh, that's not exactly, but you and I know it, getting something in a bill at the federal level is not easy, especially something so focused on what we were. And it was really a uh, remarkable moment. I know you and I both were very excited about seeing that get done. I think one of the things that I love the most that you and I talked about was we wanted to get everybody on the board and or those who had played a significant role, a red line copy yeah. of the bill. Tell, tell us what a red, what that is. Yeah, no, it's the actual enrolled bill. It's a copy of the enrolled bill framed. Yeah. And you and your team, I think we got, I don't know how many, did we get like a hundred of them? Yeah, I, think, like, I don't know. I think it would probably be more like, 40 or 50 or something. I don't remember. All I know is they had never had that many asked for, if I remember right. And then you guys all framed them. I think you and I both hand signed notes that they went in and we sent them out to the board. And you know what's great is you, I'm sure you see this because you visit more than I do, but I'm sure you've seen those copies hanging on people's walls in their offices. Yeah. And that was such an important watershed moment for the industry um, because without that everything that happened during the pandemic we would have we've been just glossed over because we wouldn't we might have been able to yell loud enough but we needed that sbea to be able to stand there and say no we we exist yep. and we will not go down without a fight yep. and you do work for us yep. in the end Exactly. Right. And that's it. So yeah, yeah, what a what a so, moment that you and I could relive that mold. Yeah, boy, that was something. That was something. So let me ask you uh a two-part question. What what is the outlook for the industry? And as a subset of that, what are our headwinds? What are the things we most have to be concerned about? So what's the outlook and what do we have to watch out for? So I'll start the outlook first. I'm I'm very excited for the future. And you go back and if you read the book Tipping Point mm -hmm. and you think about how, you know, in the book, the examples of the different things and how when people, they hit a certain inflection point and it's the inflection point, it's that tipping point. And I feel like the PEO industry is, is approaching that. Some would say, oh, we've already, I don't think so. And the reason I say that is I have said for years and years, and many people have said the same thing, including yourself, that at some point when a business is getting started, they're going to say, okay, who's your banker? Who's your CPA? Who's your attorney? And who's your PEO? It's happening. That is happening today. And, you know, we did the recent you know, research about professionals and would they recommend us to their clients, you know, professional consultants, advisors. And, you know, 
what we find is when they know who we are and what we do, we're a good solution. And we're, we've been around long enough and we've proven ourselves. And when you see the companies that I talked about earlier that graduate, I just had another one that just sold, um, started with five employees, grew up to about 80 to 100 employees. And then they just sold to the largest national in their in their industry. They had another one do something similar and raise $100 million. Those are success stories. And so I think I'm very excited for the future. Now, I think it's we've got uh, some evolution that will probably occur, but that's the nature of every industry. And I, I think that we're one of the slowest, <laughs> when I think about disruptive technologies, like an Uber, you know, they, they obviously disrupted you know, the taxi industry overnight. Ours is a long overnight, but we're, we've disrupted for a long time. Yeah. And I'm very excited about where we're going because people just adopted now. They accept it as a good way of running your business. As for so headwinds, headwinds, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, I said yes. I said, so what are the headwinds? It's going to continue to be um, as as excited as I am that people know who we are. People don't know who we are. I mean, we you know the marketing budget of million four is wonderful, and we as an as an association is great, and we just got to keep pounding that drum. And so, you know, the our biggest challenge is there's so much noise in the world that trying to get your voice out today in any industry, any business, in business services is tough. So a headwind, once again, is going to be the age old, you know, we just got to market, 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 and get people to know that we are a good value proposition. Our best cheerleaders are our former clients. Absolutely. Um, I think some other headwinds are going to be disruptive technologies that could mimic us you know will will there be new ai technology that comes out that the stuff that's coming out is pretty sophisticated obviously and where does that go and how could that disrupt us and are there things i mean there's certain things you just aren't going to be able to you know disrupt or take away from us but at the same time you know, you always have to say what will put you out of business. And yeah. so when I think about this industry, that's the one thing I think that the leadership, uh, not just within NAPIO, but at the board level, has to always ask is what corners do we need to look around? Where where do we not get disrupted? How do we have the relationships that all of us have been around a long time always get scared that just by some sign of the pen at some federal level, some state level, we get caught up in something we never saw coming and overnight we're gone. So those are the things that concern me is just what do you manage from a risk management from regulatory? What do we manage or keep an eye on that's disruptive technologies or services? And in the end, just always be ready for that next pandemic moment, so to speak. And, you know, you, uh, you mentioned awareness. You know, LGND is our, our uh, outside uh, firm that helps us with marketing communications. And they're wonderfully creative. They've just been our partners for years. They're fabulous. And so year one, they rolled out all this stuff. And it's great. <clears throat> and then they came in at the end of that year. And they said, okay, so year two, they do all this awareness stuff year one, you know. And then they said, okay, year two, here's what we're going to do. We've got the whole of this other stuff we're going to do. And same thing, wonderfully creative stuff. 
And I felt like I, I, I punctured their balloon and uh, I, I said, we're, we're not going to do it. They said, why? I said, because the message in year two is awareness and year three and year four, right? We have 15% of the 10 to 100 employee market. When that's 89%, 90%, we're going to maybe stop talking about awareness and talk about something else, you know? But as long as that number is what it is, the message today, tomorrow, and until we drop is awareness, 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 right? It just it just is, right? And so they've, they've done a great job of that. But yeah, that's it, right? It, it is. And I think, you know, I want to applaud what you've done over your career at Napio. Um, when we go back and said, what are some of those things we had to do? And I look over this last many, many years. Um, we knew that that was the, Somehow we had to beat that drum. Yeah, yeah. And somehow we had to get the money for that to yeah. beat that drum. Yeah. $50,000 a year wasn't going to do it. Absolutely. And, exactly. you know, when I think about all the success stories during your tenure, it's that's a big one. Yeah. A lot of, lot of big and, things that happened. But. And, yeah, and you've heard me say a thousand times, growth, growth fixes everything. Growth fixes everything. We've got everything. to grow. And then you got more political clout on the state and federal level. Growth causes more growth, right? It's more awareness, it's more stuff, right? It just it just fixes everything. That's that yeah. that that that's been the thing. So uh yeah, so interesting. Um, I was gonna ask you what so for somebody new to this industry, what would you tell them? Somebody coming in, a young BR Tilson who's starting their own firm. What's your advice? Run. Never give up. <laughs> Never give Never up. Never give up. Um, you know, I, I tell people, and it's so funny when people get in this industry, they don't leave, they just circulate someplace else. Always do. And, but what's so good about it is it's one of these businesses that you earn your MBA just by being in it. You may not be able to put those letters behind your your name, but you learn everything that, about being a master's in business administration because it's such a uh, rewarding but complicated business to be in. In the end, I think in the end, that's why it's so addicting is people enjoy what they're able to do and take all that complicated stuff that businesses have to figure out for themselves and then you go do what they do. And there's something rewarding about knowing that you've made them a better business by them using. And I think that's the addiction. And that's what I would tell somebody is you're getting in this not for yourself, but for somebody else. And if you have that uh, attitude, then you'll do well. That's great. Great stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I have one final question I'll wrap up with. But, uh, you know, I just think of... Uh, um, you know, for me, all, all the other stuff I mentioned, and remember, I remember you for all that stuff. I mean, you're, you're known for all that stuff. But for me, it really was uh, you, the, you are the looking around, thinking around corners guy. You always were. You always are. And, and I remember even during the SBEA, it's like, hey, it passed. Let's do this. And you were like, OK, let's think about this. You, you know, you'd have your kettle one and I'd have my bourbon <laughs> <That's> <laughs> late at night. <laughs> Be late at night, you'd be sitting by the pool. I'd be sitting out on my porch and it's late at night. Let's let's think this through. Now, Brent, I think we need to do this, we need to do that. 
let's think this through. Okay, let's, and we would think we'd come up with a plan, but you were always so good at like thinking two and three and five and eight steps ahead. And I really do appreciate it. That was, that was, that was great. And I also remember again, as chair, you know, I consult with you all the time. And I, I just always remember you said, I'm, I'm here just to hold a mirror up. Right. Yep. That's yep. ask me a question. Here's the mirror. Right. And it answered the yep. question. Um, yep. So, yeah. So the last, so, so thank you for that. The, the last question, what is something about B.R. Tilson that we don't know? I know the grandchildren are starting to proliferate a lot. I know that's starting to happen. There's that. <laughs> what, What's one thing? And the girls, right? And so what's a, what is something? I think about that. I don't know. You know, um, I guess what I would say are the unusual vacations. So going to Egypt, climbing up inside the Great Pyramid, going to Jerusalem, you know, going through all that. You know, remember going down the Nile River. Um, I enjoy doing unique trips. It's something that I don't necessarily talk a lot about, but that's something I like to do. To me, it's, I don't want to just go sit on a beach. And having a travel agent daughter did help. <laughs> it does help. Yeah. So this, <laughs> so this year we're doing the Danube river trip and uh, for 11 days, I've got my itinerary right here. And uh, starting off in Budapest. Nice. Now this year, I don't think Craig Babesian is going with me. Last year, he, he and, and his wife went with us as we uh, did uh, Europe and a nice little tiny cruise ship and had a great time together. But there's still room available. And this yeah. year, I did not book it during any conference. So that, that was my question. Know, it was during and, the conference last year. So we we lost some key people for the conference because you were on a <laughs> ship somewhere in Greece <laughs> sailing around the Adriatic or so. God knows what was happening. Or, so I, I guess in all honesty, I guess the one thing people don't know is um, I played Bye Bye Birdie mm -hmm. as the lead in my high school musical. And sang? Yeah, and sang. We might have to do that at the. Yeah, I don't think so. That was a long time ago. October, <laughs> get you out. We'll get some other cast members up there. And that's amazing. I had no idea. You know, you think you know a guy. That's unbelievable. I had no idea. Yeah, I looked really good in my gold tights and gold jacket <laughs> and dressed up. It's gonna take Carol me all day to put that out of my head. So thanks. Carol Slickback. Oh, it's still. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, pal. I really do appreciate it. This is great. Didn't disappoint. Uh, again, I even I learned a few things along the way. So that is that was terrific. So I appreciate. Yeah, it. no, so fun. Pleasure.